When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the second episode of Before They Were Beatles Presents The Forgotten Beatles, in which we turn the spotlight on guitarist Ken Brown of the Quarrymen and the Blackjacks. We all know the story of John, Paul, George and Ringo, the Beatles. But there are other tales still left to tell. For who were Pete, Ken, Norman, Johnny, Colin, Rod, Stuart, Eric and many more who all played their part in the story of the greatest band in rock history. These are the stories of the Forgotten Beatles. I'm your host, Alan J. Porter. Episode 2 Ken Brown. Part 1. A Promise Made. Ken Brown was born in the Enfield area of London in 1940, at the height of the Battle of Britain and the German bombing raids on the capital. His father worked in a clerical position at the Royal Ordnance Factory, and the following year was, was offered a promotion to small arms inspector that would enable the family to relocate to Liverpool. They were settled in a house at 149 Shorrington Avenue in the Norris Green area of the city in a development that had been specially built for the ordnance workers. Ken went to Stonebridge Lane School in Norris Green and by 1959 was working as an apprentice at tool suppliers Robert Kelly & Sons. Like many of his friends, as a teenager, Ken took to hanging out at the Lowlands Youth Club. And with the arrival of the Skiffle Craze, several of the members started to discuss putting together a group to play at the club. Ken was perhaps the most committed, having invested in a Hofner guitar and a 10-watt amplifier. Another interested member of the group was one George Harrison, who was looking for a new gig after the other group he played with, the Quarrymen, had drifted apart. Ken and George became the instrumental backline of the newly formed Les Stewart Quartet on rhythm guitar the group named, as was the practice at the time, for the singing frontman. Les Stewart also played lead guitar and occasionally banjo and mandolin. Providing percussion was Les's friend Jeff, or possibly Ray, Skinner. The group soon secured regular gigs at the British Legion Club and a Sunday night residency at the Lowlands location, where the teenage music sessions were held in a low-ceiling cellar named The Pillar Club. 
The Les Stewart Quartet set consisted of regular rock and roll covers, but they were also one of the few Liverpool groups to play real blues numbers from the likes of Big Bill Brunsey, Lead Belly, Muddy Waters, etc. Former quarrymen John Lennon and Paul McCartney would occasionally show up at the Lowlands Club to support their friend George. John would even occasionally join the Les Stewart Quartet for rehearsals, and according to at least one account, even join them on stage for a gig. When the Best family was working to get the nearby Casbah Club up and running, as discussed in the last episode on Pete Best, they quickly realised that they would need a band for opening night. A friend of the Best family, Ruth Morrison, suggested that they talk to her friend Ken Brown, who was a member of a group called the Les Stewart Quartet, who played regularly at the Lowlands Youth Club. Ken recalled, quote, Ruth informed me that she knew a lady by the name of Mrs. Best, who was interested in meeting me and that it would be in my interest to speak to her. I agreed, but had no idea what it was about. Unsure what the meeting was about, Ken decided to take his friend and bandmate, George Harrison, along for moral support. Ken and George were impressed that Mrs. Best immediately offered them a Saturday night residency at her new club. Ken was so taken with Mona Best that he offered to help with the ongoing club preparations and promised that he would ensure that she was never without a group. A promise that he kept as long as he was resident in Liverpool. Not everyone was as enthused about the Casbah project as Ken. In fact, Les Stewart was less than impressed by the time that Ken had been spending there as he had missed several rehearsals but not any of the shows. Things came to a head at one rehearsal at Les's house when Les insisted that they would not play the Casbah. Ken had made a promise to Mona Best and he was going to keep it. So if the Les Stewart Quartet wouldn't play the Casbah, he'd leave and form a group to do just that. After listening to the arguments, George Harrison declared that if Ken was going to leave, he would too. The two friends were now in a position of having a guaranteed Saturday night residency and a spot on the opening night of an exciting new club, but they only had half a band. Ken recalled, quote, We explained the situation to Mrs. Best and told her that we would form a band in time if given the chance. She said, Don't let me down. So George spoke to some friends he said he'd been in a band with before. The friends turned out to be John Lennon and Paul McCartney. We all wanted a job and a Saturday night residency was like gold. The arrival of John and Paul, and John in particular, probably wasn't the big surprise that Ken indicated it was in later interviews, for, as noted, they'd been a fairly regular presence at the Les Stewart Quartet gigs, so he must have known who George was referring to. On the 29th of August 1959, Ken Brown joined George Harrison, Paul McCartney and John Lennon on stage at the Casbah for the first time as the new lineup of the Quarrymen. Ken was a bit of an odd man out alongside the other three, as noted by Tony Cracker, an art school friend of John Lennon and a member of the audience at that first gig, quote, Ken Brown didn't fit in with anything. He wore suits with wide lapels in pastel colours, didn't have a very good haircut and wore glasses. The others turned down the volume on his guitar a bit and turned Georgie's up. The Quarrymen played a series of Saturday night engagements in the Casbah for 15 shillings each per night, starting on the 29th of August through early October 1959. On the evening of the 10th of October, Brown had injured his leg, or possibly had flu, accounts vary, and it was agreed that he could not play, so he rested upstairs in the best household while the three future Beatles, Lennon, Harrison and McCartney, played the gig. At the end of the evening, Mona Best still divided the group's three pounds equally between the four of them, 
which the other three didn't think too much of. An argument ensued, and the quarrymen swore that they would never play the Casbar again. Ken Brown found himself unceremoniously dumped from the group. For more on the quarrymen's residency at the Casbar and details of the 15 shilling incident, check out episode 11 of the main Before They Were Beatles podcast. Part 2. A Promise Kept Ken was once again in the position of needing to find a new band to fill the Casbar Saturday night slot. He promised Mrs. Best that he would have a new band together rehearsed and ready to play by the next Saturday night. But where would he find one? His first port of call was the youngest, best son, Rory, who had a following at the club for singing and dancing along to records being played. But Rory said he didn't want to front a group. Next stop was Pete Best. Pete was always tapping along with the rhythm of the songs and had started to play around with an abandoned snare drum. Ken felt he was a natural drummer. Thankfully, Pete agreed to the idea, and Mona Best agreed to replace the second-hand snare drum with a full kit for Pete. Ken asked his and Pete's friends, Bill Barlow and Chaz Newby, who had been playing with a band called The Barman at the Lowlands Pillar Club, if they would like to join. While they agreed in principle, they already had a gig for that first Saturday night. So in a panic, Ken roped in a club member called Samo, who he knew played guitar, and another club member who owned a guitar but didn't play or sing and he was just told to stand there and make up the numbers. The new group would be called the Blackjacks, and they made their debut on the promised date to an unsurprisingly lukewarm reception. The highlight of the show being Samo's attempt to punch out a heckler. The next time the Blackjacks took to the stage with their correct lineup of Ken Brown, Bill Barlow, Chaz Newby and Pete Best, they were well rehearsed and soon built a strong following. And among the crowd were often Ken's former bandmates, Paul, George and John, who may have forsaken playing at the Casbar, but still enjoyed the social scene there. John was sometimes accompanied by his art school friend, Stuart Sutcliffe. More on him in a future episode. According to the somewhat biased Mona Best, the Blackjacks were, quote, very good. I remember Rory Storm, who was very big in those days, issuing a challenge to see who could get the biggest crowd at the Casbar. Rory got 390, but the Black Jacks got 450, the most we ever had. Pete Best says that the numbers were actually 1350 for the Black Jacks and 1335 for the Hurricanes. Either way, Ken and Pete won the bet. By mid-1960, the Black Jacks looked like they would be drifting apart, as Bill and Chaz were heading off to college, although Chaz will re-enter the Beatles story at a later date. So when Pete received a call to join the Beatles just before they headed to Hamburg, there was little to hold him back. Shortly after the Blackjacks disbanded, Ken's family headed back to the London area. Ken had kept his promise to Mona Best. In 1997, Ken announced that he had created a website to promote a book he was writing tentatively entitled My Life. Given the interest in the Beatles anthology project, he felt he had a story to tell. In an email exchange with music blogger Bill Cott, Ken revealed that he had never been approached by any of the Beatles biographers to date, and the only interview he could remember doing had been back in 1964 for Rave magazine. Ken also claimed he had some experience as a writer, having at one point produced a local community-based magazine. However, this venture went bankrupt, and Ken had lost his collection of musical instruments as a result. In his later years, Ken lived in Essex on the southeast coast of England. He had been married and divorced three times and at least for the last 10 years of his life, he had lived alone and worked behind the bar at an amusement arcade and bingo hall. 
Ken saw the autobiography as his ticket to a better life, and he was very protective of it. He said he'd shopped it around without interest, but in a later interview mentioned that only two people had actually seen it were his old friend Pete Best and a publisher called Transworld who had returned it. After years of email exchanges, Cop eventually persuaded Ken to change the title to the more Beatles history related to some other guy and to let him help with the editing. It was around this time while doing the initial research of the Before There Were Beatles book that I reached out to Ken who informed me that he was working on some other guy and would be telling his story in its pages. According to Cop, the 37,000 word manuscript as it existed was, quote, unpublishable. Ken did open up a bit somewhat later and posted the first chapter on his website. In 2002, Ken contributed significantly to the best book on the history of the Casbah Club, The Beatles, The True Beginnings, and it is from that book that several of Ken's quotes I use in this episode are taken. In 2005, Ken appeared in the documentary Best of the Beatles about his friend Pete Best, but in general kept a low profile and after his initial efforts seemed to lose interest in sharing his story, telling Cop in 2008 that, that, quote, work on the book has come to a halt for the foreseeable future. The book remains unpublished. Ken Brown suffered from emphysema and died at his home in Essex aged 69. His body was discovered on the 14th of June 2010, and police determined that he'd died about five days earlier. Ken Brown may never have got to tell his full story, and who knows what anecdotes and memories were in that manuscript. Hopefully one day we may get to find out. If you want to know more about Ken Brown's story, I recommend the aforementioned book, The Beatles, The True Beginnings, published by Thomas Dunn Books in 2003. A link to where the book can be published online will be found in the show notes. Thanks for listening to this episode of Before They Were Beatles Presents The Forgotten Beatles. If you would like to leave a rating or a review on your favourite podcast platform, that would be great. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. If you'd like to make a comment or ask a question, you can follow the podcast Twitter account at Before Beatles. Or you can email me at alan at beforetheywerebeatles.com. And don't forget to join us next month when we turn the spotlight on the stories of Honorary Beatle, Vince Calandra, vocal group The Chance, and drummer Norman Chapman. You can also subscribe to the monthly Before They Were Beatles newsletter at beforebeatles.substack.com. The news and updates section each month will be free to all subscribers, but each month paid subscribers get an exclusive look at the in-progress updates to the updated and expanded edition of the Before They Were Beatles book, author's notes, playlist suggestions and recommended reads. I'm your host, writer and producer, Alan J. Porter. Stay well, stay safe, and enjoy peace and love. Some other guy performed by the Savage Young Beatles is used with permission. The Before There Were Beatles podcast series is a production of Megrid Entertainment, a division of 4J's group, LLC.